We are going to continue uh, in chapter 38 this morning, starting in verse 8. Before we get there, let's pray. Father, again, we come to you asking for your wisdom, for your um, discernment, for your grace among us, that you would open up your word to us, make it alive by your spirit. They remain words on the page until you activate them in our heart. And we pray that you do what only you can do by using your scripture that you've given us, revealing who you are, revealing who we are in relation to you, and our great need of a Savior, our great need of Christ. We pray that you would um, show us the beauty of what you've done for us in Jesus and that and the, temple that you're building of his people you're calling to yourself that you are building a dwelling place not with fabric or with stones but with human hearts that are being shaped and molded into the image of Jesus we thank you for the pictures that we see in the Old Testament of what you're doing in time and space among us and among all of those called by the name of Christ in the world. We pray that you continue to build your temple through us um, by giving us boldness to proclaim the gospel, adding a stone here, a stone there, to the great structure that you will finalize at the day when Christ returns. We look forward to that day. We pray this morning again that you would give us hope in that day from what we read here. In Christ's name, amen. All right, 38, uh, verse, I'm sorry, verse 8 and 36. Um, chapter 36, verse 8 through... Of Exodus? Yes. Hey, let's talk about Exodus. Chapter 36, verse 8. Let me just read it, and we'll just, that'll be probably a good place to start. And all the craftsmen among the workmen made the tabernacle with ten curtains... They were made of fine twined linen, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, with cherubim skillfully worked. The length of each curtain was 28 cubits, and the breadth of each curtain, 4 cubits. All the curtains were the same size. He coupled five curtains to one another, and the, five, and, and the other five curtains he coupled to one another. He made loops of blue on the edge of the outermost curtain of the first set. Likewise, he made them on the edge of the outermost curtain of the second set. He made 50 loops on the one curtain, and he made 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that was in the second set. The loops were opposite one another, and he made 50 clasps of gold and coupled the curtains one to the other with clasps, so the tabernacle was a single whole. He also made curtains of goat's hair for a tent over the tabernacle. He made 11 curtains. The length of each curtain was 30 cubits, and the breadth of each curtain, 4 cubits. The 11 curtains were the same size. He coupled 5 curtains by themselves and 6 curtains by themselves, and he made 50 loops on the edge of the outermost curtain of the one set, and 50 loops on the edge of the other connecting curtain. And he made 50 clasps of bronze to couple the tent together, that it might be a single whole. And he made for the tent a covering of tanned ram skins and skins. 
Then he made the upright frames for the tabernacle of acacia wood. Ten cubits was the length of a frame, and a cubit and a half the breadth of each frame. Each frame had two tenons for fitting together. He did this for all the frames of the tabernacle. The frames for the tabernacle he made thus, 20 frames for the south side, and he made 40 bases of silver for the, under the 20 frames, two bases under one frame for its two tenons, and two bases under the next frame for its two tenons. For the second side of the tabernacle, on the north side, he made 20 frames, and their bases, 40 bases, and their 40 bases of silver, two bases under one frame, and two bases under the next frame. For the rear of the tabernacle, westward, he made six frames. He made two frames for corners of the tabernacle in the rear, and they were separate beneath, but joined at the top at the first ring. He made two of them this way for the two corners. There were eight frames with their bases of silver, 16 bases under every frame, two bases. He made bars of acacia wood, five for the frames of the one side of the tabernacle, and five frames of the tabernacle, and five bars for the frames of the tabernacle at the rear westward. And he made the middle bar to run from end halfway up the frames. And he overlaid the frames with gold and made their rings of gold for holders for the bars and overlaid the bars with gold. He made the veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. With cherubim skillfully worked into it, he made it. And for it he made four pillars of acacia and overlaid them with gold. Their hooks were of gold, and he cast for them four bases of silver. He also made a screen for the entrance of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen embroidered with needlework and its five pillars with their hooks. He overlaid their capitals and their fillets were of gold, but their five bases were of bronze. What an odd thing. To dwell on on Sunday morning. <laughs> Telling you. Now recall that we're in the section of the book where they're constructing the tabernacle according to the pattern that Moses has already been given back in, in this particular section, uh, back in chapter 26. The rest of, of chapter 38, uh, we went over verses 1 through 7 last week. But the rest of chapter 38 is a duplicate. It's a repeat of chapter 26. But there's a significant difference. What's the difference? Okay, it's the same, same instructions. And here we have construction, right? You will make, he made. Incidentally, who's he? <coughs> Belzalel and the Holy Ab. It's he, though. Who is this attributed to? To whom is this attributed? <laughs> Moses. I, he's the representative, right? He's the mediator of the covenant. It's all attributed to him, but we're told at the very beginning all the artisans got together and started doing this, and yet it's attributed to, to Moses. Moses has received the instructions in 26. Uh, the instructions in 26 began, or, or 25 and 26, they began with, with, with furniture, but here, the beginning is with the tabernacle itself. Why is that? What do you think? 
have to have the tabernacle before you have the furniture. I would think so. Yes, you got to have the covering before you put the furniture in. Otherwise, just sitting out gathering sand. Um, the repetition that we're seeing here, and we'll see probably through the rest of, uh, through, through chapter 39, is to show that the people built the tabernacle exactly as God had instructed Moses. In chapter 26, when we talked about the coverings, the, the first word that, that began that chapter was tabernacle in the Hebrew. That's the first word. That's the emphasis, tabernacle. Here, the first word in this section me, it is a verb meaning to make or do, which signifies what's going on. This is, a, this is the completion. This is the activity that's involved of them carrying out the instructions that God had given. There's a sense, uh, and we talked about this in 26, there's a sense in which he uses the term tabernacle here. He's talking about, remember how it was set up. There's those three sections. There's the, the uh, outer court. There's the holy place. And then there's the Holy of Holies, right? There's the three places. There's a sense of when he's talking about the tabernacle itself, he's talking about the two sections, the holy place and the Holy of Holies, and then the outer court is kind of a, 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 a place for the general population to be. It's not necessarily referring to the entire structure, and we'll see that a little bit later, um, why that's important. Um, when you see the makeup of the structure itself, what sense do you get of the permanency of this place? Mobile. It's mobile. Uh, it's temporary. Even the frames that they make, they're making a whole bunch of frames that aren't that wide so that it could be taken apart. It's kind of a modular. It's very modular. It's, in, in fact, it's just an, it, one commentator has said it's a, just an elaborate nomad tent. It's, it's set up that way. It's constructed that way. And they would be familiar with the type of, of, of structure that they were building. It's a similar construction elements that, that are there that they would see in other places. Um, David laments that he cannot build God a more stable place to live. When he says, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the Ark of the Covenant of God is under curtains. You know, he says this later. This is um, much later after the time of Moses. But he, at this point in time, they need a mobile, a mobile sanctuary, right? They need some place to... They need to be able to be broken down. Why? They got places to go. They got people to see. And this needs to be on the move. And so that's what God's given. Why are cherubim stitched in the curtains? Why do you think that... Remember, there's several layers of these curtains. And the first layer, on the inside, they stitch these cherubim. Why do you think that's there? And why is that a reminder that you're entering the presence of God? Because what's around God all the time is singing. Screaming and singing. It's like a junior high camp in there with angels. There's, there's cherubim are, are around the throne of God. Any vision that we see of the throne of God in the scripture, talk, it, it, there's a picture of these angelic creatures around him. And, and there's, a, there's a, a, a representation of that in the, in the dome of the tabernacle. Yeah. Does it speak to um, veiling, veiling your eyes at all? You mean as far as the veils go? It's, well, as far as it's a barrier between you and God, you can't, you know, you have to always cover yourself, cover your eyes. Um, I, I, we're not getting that from necessarily from this, from this passage, um, but maybe we'll get to that later. Um, it was a staff. 
It was a stab, but I, I appreciate the stab. It's a good stab, but I don't think it, I don't think this this passage actually gets there. Um, they these angelic these angelic these angelic creatures symbolize mobile. These angelic creatures symbolize the very presence of God, and the cherubim are his most immediate attendants. You have these ten curtains, and they're all equally proportioned. Everything looks symmetrical. And they're divided into two sets of five. And, and how does it describe them being joined together? What's the language that we see in the... In the all of them. Uh, eight, eight through, eight through uh, 13 right now. Class them together. There are loops and they're, they're classed. And, the, and the, the, the ESV uses the word coupled together. Do you see that? In, I don't know the NASB if it's more, more uh, accurate than that. And it, are you using an NIV? Okay, I just want to make sure. I'm just joking. It's a humorous thing. Humor. Coupled together. That language for coupled together, uh, it, it means uh, that, uh, it, literally it means a woman to her sister. Curtain is a feminine noun. Um, thankfully, we have an English translation. Because otherwise we wouldn't get that idiom. But in that, in that language, in that culture, that meant joined together, uh, as close as siblings kind of the thing. But it's referring to fabric, so we're just going to stay coupled together and, and be happy about that. What's the first layer? First layer is what? What material? Inside out. Okay. The very first layer laid over the structure. What is it made of? Of what is it made? It's made of linen. And, and you remember that the fabric that's being used that's most immediate to the structure, the, the first layer, is the most precious fabric. Right? And it works out to goat hair, which is not the most precious fabric. Tanned ram skin, that, that's not the most precious fabric, but it works the most precious inside out. Um, the value of the fabric grows less. With these materials, how many curtains do, you, do we see? And why do we have this many curtains on this thing? To me, it seems part of it may be just practical because it seems like the tan ramskins and stuff would, would be a protectant from the elements. Protecting what? Protect what's precious inside. So the, the other layers, and I agree, I think the other layers serves a very practical purpose of protecting... The layer of fine linen, which surrounds what will be housing the presence of God. Okay. Um, yes? Are all these uh, materials, are they abundant? Are any of them rare? Well, remember that it, they got it from plundering the Egyptians. Okay. okay. The stuff yeah. isn't laying around in the desert. So, they, the, yeah. they, so, they're, so they're, they have this rich store of supplies that they've plundered from the Egyptians. Okay. But yes, the linen would be very rare. Um, uh, I, I remember it being a very involved, I can't remember the exact details, but I remember it being a very involved process to, to develop it. Um, goat hair, not as involved. Plentiful. Plentiful, yes. The blue and purple, and then, and then yes. And so you see, uh, again, the yarn being a, another precious material, but less, presumably less valuable than, than the linen. And then it goes out. Um, 
with this material, the hooks, um, the, the, the outer layers are, are hooked with bronze, not gold. And you see, even the metals change from inside out. The gold being obviously more precious is inside. The bronze is less precious and outside. The costly stuff is closer to the presence of God. Why so many layers? There, it's protective to the limb. Some, of, some have thought that some of these layers of things keep out moisture uh, that, that would be maybe in the, in the, in the, in the area that they were in. I, I just, it just sounds really hot to me. All that many... How many layers? Well, four. Ten curtains. You have four layers, I think, ultimately, with, with, different, with the different fabrics. Maybe, well, maybe, maybe just four layers. Um, all right. It's not all curtains, though, right? You need something else. What, what are you going to say? So they're in the desert, right? They're well, around. wilderness, yeah, there's desert elements to it, I'm, I'm sure. I'm just thinking like wind, desert wind, sure. layer stability. Sure. So, but it's not all curtains. We have additional things. What do we have? What else is we have to have frames. It's got to hang on something. You hang your curtains on something. Um, what's, what's up with the frames? We, we, we don't get really the sense of it in the ESV, but the Hebrew refers to these boards for the tabernacle as standing acacia wood. What does that mean? Standing acacia wood. Well, I'll just tell you. because it's coming. What's that? They're anchored. What does it tell you about the material itself? Does it tell you anything about the material itself? Heavy. Heavy? Okay. Probably uh, somewhat weather resistant. Okay. Weather resistant, heavy. Um, but they would still carry those frames Uh-huh. Yeah, they get the bigger guys to do that. Yes. <laughs> had to be workable. Had to be pliable. The, the thought here, the way the language reads, the thought here is that possibly uh, it was new cut wood for the pliability to be able to bend. Um, standing wood, having the idea that it was, art, it was still standing when they cut it. So there's some, some of that. Um, it, 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 has a, it refers to the boards. It's a definite article there. It calls to mind the well-known architectural practice for constructing frames of mobile sanctuaries. Um, all right. Let's see. There are detailed instructions given in chapter 26, and they are followed to a T here. What are, what are some of the things, as you read through this, if anything, what, what stuck out to you? What strikes you about how this is done? The loops. The loops. What about the loops? Lots of them? <laughs> so the loops it's very intricate maybe a little ice to Jesus there sorry um, there's, a very, there's a lot of detail in the smallest element of these curtains is that what you're trying to it's very detailed on, on the loops it's very detailed on the wood that's being used um, it's interesting what 
Go ahead. Right. Uh, what are there, 40 of them? Right. Silver. Silver. In, in, on the ground. Just as a base. Just, just, just to... Just put that down there. Yeah. No yeah. That's, that's really... That is interesting. That's great valuing. Right. Right. What are, the, what are the boards covered in? And what are the boards covered in? Gold. Yes, go ahead. So this is the same tabernacle that they talked about in 26. They're just now getting around building it. Well... In 26, the instructions were given right. on the mountain. Moses comes down from the mountain with the instructions. The tablets. And he breaketh the tablets because of the cash cow incident. And then you have him having to go back up for another 40 days okay. and then comes down. And this is the renewal of the covenant. And now they get to, they're restored by God's mercy. He doesn't destroy them I've completely. I appreciate you being uh, honest about that. And, <laughs> I didn't want to bring that out in public, but we do need to talk later. Okay, so there is this detailed instruction that's given in 26. Um, how many sides to this thing? Three. Three sides. And a curtain. And a curtain. Three sides are, 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 are uh, shown. There's north, south, and then what's the rear? West. West. It flows east to west. The entrance comes from the east. The, the back of it is the west. Um, as far as the east is from the west. That's what I said. Well, that's wonderful. Okay, well, I'm... the picture is, where is the west? What's at the west most part of the tabernacle? It'll be the Holy of Holies. And what's in there? One piece of furniture. What is it? It's the Ark of the Covenant where the mercy seat is. Does that expression make sense? It's not just talking about your compass. What? Did you say compass? Compass. It's not talking about your comp your compass. Your compass, your angels, and your mobile. All right, we are... Wow. Okay, so there's symmetry... I, this is totally gone haywire this morning. You there's symmetry here. North and south, there's 20 boards. The spacing on the east is six boards. The planks have reinforced supports at the bottom with, with silver and, 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 and some bronze. Doubled on the west side. Because even though it's temporary, it's got to be secure, right? So it's doubled on the west side. Remember from chapter 26, Moses was commanded three times to build a tabernacle and its various parts according to what has been shown to him on the mountain. In, 30, in verse 30 of, of 26, the word is different. It, it says plan. Uh, in the Hebrew, um, the idea is that it's a, it's a judgment word. And so the, the thought is, you're going to be judged according to how you build this. This is, a, this is a, a serious thing. This is an ordinance thing. There's strict compliance required uh, with the law that, that, God is, that God has given. And here in chapter 36, we see that they're doing that. I want to bring out again, we talked about this last week, we bust on this generation of Hebrews a lot. Bust on them. And, and there's justification for that. They were bones and a lot of things. But they get this right. They do this well. They follow it to a T. Uh, they're obedient in the construction of the tabernacle. 
probably the, the most striking structural feature of the tabernacle itself is what comes next in 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 um, in, in uh, thirty one. Uh, I'm sorry, in in thirty five through thirty eight. What are those two? What's going on there? All that beauty and design that's inside. But what do we have here? Veil. How many? How many veil? How many of these do we have? Veils. This is where it gets interesting. There's one? There's multiple pillars, but it looks like there's one veil. Keep reading. The screen is also a veil, right? And the screen is for what? The entrance. The entrance. Now, where is this placed? On the east side. On the east side of what? Here's the picture. You have an open court. Then the entrance to the tent of meeting, which we would call the holy place. That's the first place. That's the first screen. Who goes in there? Priests. Priests, right? Only the priests can go through the holy place. Then the next screen is what? <coughs> to the Holy of Holies, right? And that's the veil. Again, it's very elaborate. It's got the cherubim on it. Again, we see that elaborate presence of God idea there. And then the screen doesn't have that, but it's nice stuff. It's yarn and, and linen and stuff. It's got all this color, but it doesn't have the cherubim. It's not the presence of God. Um, what does that say? Who goes in the Holy of Holies? One guy. Now, imagine you're a Hebrew for a minute. You read this, you memorize this, actually, memorizing Exodus. Memorize that. I can't memorize Ephesians. Memorizing Exodus. Think about it. You're familiar with the construction. You're familiar, uh, familiar with the layout. You know what's involved in building it. You've read the text. You've done the thing. You've said it, and you've got your little bar mitzvah thing. You're all, you know it. Never see it. <coughs> You never see it. Only the priest can go in the holy place. And only the high priest can go in the holy of holies. When Christ was crucified, there's a, there's a statement made in one of the Gospels, and it escapes me which one it is. Mark? Somebody said Mark? What happens? The veil is torn from top to bottom. Which veil? The one into the Holy of Holies. Why just that one? Only priests could go in. And yet, all the priests that went in, there was no separation between the Holy Place and the Holy of Holies. What does that tell you, Christian? The veil is still there. There is a veil. And only priests can go in. And priests in general, the nation of priests, a royal priesthood, has access to the presence of God, the full presence of God in Christ because of what He's done. There is exclusion, but it's exclusion based on God's terms of a priest still has to go in. Not just anyone can go in. Repent and believe the gospel. That's the only way in. Alright. 
Um, author of Hebrews says this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, it's only priests that are allowed to enter into the tabernacle. Only through Christ can we move from the outer court to the holy place where his presence is. There are lots of themes that you can draw from the general construction of the tabernacle. Lots of them having to do with the church itself. Um, but, but two of them stick out to me. The psalmist says in Psalm 104, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. The word tent there is the same word used for curtains. What's the image? What's the picture he's drawing out? All of the universe, the heavens, are his tabernacle. It's all temple. He dwells in a temple of his own creation. The universe is his temple. Why hide himself covered in a tent here? Why, why do that? Why not make the whole thing just like a mosquito screen where everybody can kind of see in, everybody can take part of it, everybody can see where the tax dollars are going, right? They can all enjoy it. They can all bask in the glory of God. Why hide himself in these curtains? Why, why wouldn't that be beneficial for everyone and not just a few? Yeah. Right. It's not to hide God. It's to hide man. Right? It's to hide those who are vulnerable because of their sin, because of their unholiness, before the presence of a holy God. He's, he's condescending to them, veiling himself to protect them from him. Yeah. Right. Right. The presence of God is no longer hidden. And we beheld his glory in the face of Christ. Second Corinthians talks about that. First uh, John, we saw him, we touched him, we heard him concerning the word of life. He's been revealed. It, the protection wasn't for him, it was for his people. There was a thick covering of smoke and cloud on the mountain, remember? Thunder and lightning, very, very frightening. On the mountain, not to protect him, but to protect the people. Where they could go in this little tent, uh, it, were they able to go into this little tent? It contained reminders, really, of what used to be. You know, We've talked about the furniture, the instructions for that, and how there, were, there was plant-like structures, fruit-like, ornate, ornate stuff, and then there's the cherubim and all of this thing. The picture there of the tabernacle of God was of Eden. Remember what used to be. Do you remember what used to be? Do you understand? Do you get the depth of what you lost through your sin? Right? That's the picture here. They could read about it. They couldn't see it. They could imagine it. 
but they couldn't see it. Uh, Isaiah 59 says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his, your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Do you remember how it used to be? Do you remember how it was to walk with God in the cool of the day in the garden? Psalm 55 says, For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolent with me, then I could hide him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. Uh, we're not God's equal. I'm not saying that. But, but what we do see is a picture of communion, a picture of friendship, a picture of, um, of relationship. Don't you even remember it? The tabernacle screams this remembrance of what used to be, what could have been, what had been, and how it's broken. Is there any recognition of the death of what you lost by your sin? For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. used to not be. For it does not submit to God's law. It used to. Indeed, it cannot. Now it has no ability. So God uses the tabernacle to draw a picture. Once a year, a man among you will get to taste of what it get a taste of what it used to be. You can read the designs for that place, and sometimes this one man will tell you what it's actually like to experience it. To, to the smells, the colors, the 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 the, the, think, the smell of the bread of the presence. I just think about that. What it used to be. And, and in some of you, I will awaken a longing for what used to be. A longing that's greater than your longing for sex or money or, or even a selfie. Even better, I'll give you hope again of what will be. And here's the thing, it transitions from regret of loss to hope of what will be. A unity with reality that is beyond your reach right now. A plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in heaven and on earth, ultimately through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of one man. The, the picture of the tabernacle is a picture of what will be a unity where there is no barrier between heaven and earth, but it, it will be unified again in Christ. Can you picture the Ark of the Covenant? Can you see in your minds the seat of mercy that I call my throne? I mean, can you just hear this in the law, this picture of what he's given? Can you feel the heat of the light from the tree burning with life? Do you remember? Can you understand it? It's covered up in layers upon layers of fabric. The bread of the presence. Can you imagine the smell of it? He's coming. Trust me. There's this great sense of longing. And then there's this other theme that kind of hit me. What is conveyed by the fact that this is a tent? It's temporary. Right? It's a temporary dwelling place. It's built to travel from place to place. And even when we consider the more permanent structure, Solomon's temple, and then the second temple, but with stone and, and, and all the metals and all this stuff, that lasts a few hundred years, and then it's now gone. It too is temporary. What we consider permanent, it too is temporary. There's a left is a wall on an insignificant part of it. 
where throngs of people go even now and wail of what used to be, what could have been, what's missing. What we placed hope in is gone. And now a monument to a death cult sits on top of the site. It's temporary. A vapor. How does he describe the materials he will use to build the next and last temple? 1 Peter 2, 4-5. And as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4.16, a body joined together and held together, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Who equips it? God equips it. He's building it. It's not temporary. It's the permanent thing. It's not a man-made building complex that can be destroyed by siege engines, but a city whose builder and designer is God, as the author of Hebrews tells us. So we have a living temple, the church. But doesn't John write in his revelation that Christ and God are the temple? So who is it? God and Christ? Or the church? Yes. The answer is yes. Right? No veil. There's no veil. Between God and his kingdom of priests, there is no veil. He prays in John 17, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No curtains, no veil. Restoration. Do you remember what it was? It's going to be that and more again. That's the promise that we see in this. So what do we do with it now? Do we live under the gaze of a holy God who works all things according to the counsel of His will? Do we live in the shadow of the Almighty who chose His people before the foundation of the world not to coast not to escape reality through numbing ourselves with all the myriad of distractions that we have hurled at us every day, but to embrace reality by living holy and blameless before Him. Do we escape it? Do we embrace it? Do we live like heaven is real? Do we live like the temple coming is real? Do we live like the temple He's building now is real? Do we love our brothers and sisters as God loves our brothers and sisters? Do we love our brothers and sisters as Christ loves our brothers and sisters? Who sees the person sitting next to you in Christ as himself? Why do you persecute me, he says to Saul of Tarsus? Do we live like it's real? Or would we rather that God be in his little portable tent covered so we don't have to think about the reality of what's coming? He's coming. Christ has come, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And the call for us in the picture that we see in the tabernacle 
the hint of what's to come. It compels us to live as those who will not be ashamed of His coming. And to live confident, boldly confident, that He is ours and we are His. And all of the stuff that's thrown at us in this temporary shadowy tent we call the United States, <laughs> it's not going to be here. He is eternal. If you're in Christ, you are eternal for a good purpose, to give praise and honor to Him forever. So let's trust Him. Any questions, any comments? It's only 10-10. John, John Warren, yeah. doesn't, it, doesn't the language say and he came in tabernacle among mm. us? Isn't that the... That's it. There. Yeah, so, that's exactly the word it uses. Yeah, it's just another picture of the types and shadows of sure. Christ. Sure, sure. And that He is the supreme tabernacle. Yeah, He says, tear down this tabernacle in three days I'll build it up, or raise it up. And, and the, John comments, He's talking about His body, not the stone structure. Mm. So yeah, He is the temple, and we are the temple, being His body. So... Anything else? In Exodus chapter 26, verse 33, it says, uh, And the veil shall separate for you the holy place. Mm-hmm. The holy. Yeah, for you. It's for your benefit that it's a separate separation now. And by extension, it's for your benefit that it's been ripped in Christ. Good. For me, it's so easy to, to dwell on the five senses and settle down in what I see and what I Feel, mm-hmm. but this is a case of unbelief again mm-hmm. because it's like this is what the word of God says that we are his people that he lives in us mm-hmm. and yeah I've been in church my entire life and I hear it and I preach it and I read and everything but it's still hard to wrap your mind around it right? and really settle in in that that almighty God infinite lives inside of me and in us mm-hmm. And isn't God gracious to give us pictures that engage our senses? That even though they're spiritual realities, He knows that we're but dust, and He relates to us in a way that we can, can understand and get glimpses and tastes of what reality is going on in the, in the human heart. It's an amazing thing. Anything else? All right, I'm going to pray. It's going to happen. We're going to end this class. All right. Father, you're so gracious to us. You're so good to us. We are so tethered to what we can see and hear and smell and taste and feel. And you give us pictures that engage those things to display the beauty of what we can't see, what we can't hear, what we can't taste, what we can't smell, what we can't feel. That's more real than what we can. 
would you give us by your spirit a thirst and a hunger for the eternal that we would brave the beauty of Christ over all these lesser things thank you for covering us in the blood of Christ that we might behold your glory little by little day by day grace upon grace knowing that when he returns and we are finally glorified then the moment by moment really begins that the the eternal life that we will have will still be finite learning from and about an infinite God. What a gracious thing. What an exciting thing. What a hopeful thing. God, don't let us despair with what we see around us. Continue your work, we pray, transforming us into the image of Christ, into the temple that is made with your hands, not ours. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.